0: Hello everybody, this is Dr. Laura Freyan, and on this episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we're going to be talking about consent, body safety, boundaries, and all of that with one of my favorite consent educators, Rosalia Rivera. Thank you so much, Rosalia, for coming on our show and helping us have this really important conversation about how to keep our kids safe in an ever-changing world where we really wanna keep our kids safe without scaring them, without shaming them. Um, So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you Rosalia why don't you just tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do and then we'll jump in because I've got a. To- Lots of questions for
1: you. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me and for inviting me on. I'm excited for our talk today. So I'm Rosalia Rivera, and I'm a consent educator, abuse prevention expert, child rights advocate. I've recently really added that to
0: my title because I just added that to my title too. Really? That's I just realized that's like cool. that's what I'm doing. That's great. Right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Cool. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's super cool. So that feels like serendipitous for our call. So I really help parents. I work a lot with parents who are survivors of child sexual abuse, who are now parenting, wanting to obviously prevent that and break that cycle. And so I help teach them about body safety boundaries and consent and how they can teach their kids to empower their families. So I really want to always approach these conversations from a place of empowerment and not fear, like you said. And also just to make sure that we are giving our kids the freedom to grow and express who they truly are without being that overprotective parent that like strictly wants to like keep them safe but doesn't let them experience the world there's like this fine balance right and so I'm always on that mission because that's how I was raised really strict and I know I it made me very rebellious growing up and not always the best thing but anyway that's part of my mission that I'm really charged with this sense of purpose to child sexual abuse at the very minimum create as much awareness about the issue as possible
0: oh well we so appreciate that and I so appreciate your bringing a balanced perspective to this because the pendulum swings both ways right our goal here you know we talk a lot about balance here but this is one piece of not going so extreme one way and so extreme the other but staying kind of right in the middle in a good place where we're listening to our kids we're allowing them to be who they are and we are teaching them equipping them with the skills. I love how you say empowering them um, mm-hmm. versus it being based in fear. Okay, so what is the thing that's really on the front of your mind right now that you've been thinking a lot about that you really want to start having a discussion with parents about?
1: I love this question, so thank you for asking it because there is something I've been really trying to formulate how to bring to the table and discuss with parents in a way that's not going to freak them out. So, I'm going to just forewarn you that what I say now may frighten you. That's not the The intention is just to give you this information and then to talk about how you can proceed forward in an empowered way, right? It's like I'm always coming at it from that because I as a survivor myself can very easily get triggered can very easily want to retreat and not deal with this conversation. I say this with lots of intention for you to know that there is solution
0: okay so listeners if as you're listening to this conversation and if it's getting hard to hear don't check out don't go out the window stay with us put your hand on your heart have some things that you can say to yourself that you're safe that we're going to be offering solutions, that there's a path forward for you, that there is safety here. If thoughts start running through your head, come back to the present moment, feel the chair that you're sitting on or the ground beneath your feet, really ground yourself and stay with us, okay?
1: Here's the thing. We have been locked down in different waves of it, depending on where you live, for the last year and a half, basically. And unfortunately, through that time, a lot of children have been in unsafe homes, trapped with unsafe people. And and because of that we have seen numbers of abuse skyrocket in the last year and a half there yes. have been you know calls to cyber tip lines because of exploitation online exploitation as well as hands on in person abuse within the home and so we are talking about millions of children that are gonna be coming out of traumatic situations, right? Going back to school. And so unfortunately with that, we have the potential for an increase of child on child abuse when children return, reintegrating into schools, reintegrating into play groups, daycares, Etc. cetera.
0: A lot of parents aren't thinking about that. They don't realize that. I don't think um, parents even know the numbers that are coming out of this pandemic on this specific topic.
1: So just as a baseline, we're talking about pre-pandemic, one in four girls, one in six boys is the statistic in North America of child sexual abuse. And so when we look at a classroom of 20 kids, we're talking about potentially 25% of that, right? A quarter of yeah. those children. Now cut to post-pandemic. Pandemic, that number is likely increased because there is a higher opportunity for children to have had these experiences. Now we're talking about and
0: reporting is down too, so the reporting
1: it is down. The, exactly. Kids
0: are not in the environment where they could disclose to a safe adults. So they're no longer in those places where they can get help. And
1: unfortunately, also for many who are young, who are so young that they don't even recognize that this is abuse, then you now have a potential for those children to potentially reenact this behavior in other children um, and display those problematic behaviors with siblings, with play groups, anything like
0: that. so important to just frame this for folks who might be experiencing this, that this is because that child is bad or damaged in any way. They are processing. Is a kid's process through play. And it makes sense that things like this that would happen to them, they would also process in that way.
1: Absolutely. And I'm glad that you said that because it is important to note that it's does these children are just products of that trauma. And so that doesn't mean that they're bad or damaged or intentionally harming others. So the reason that I bring that up is because I think that it is now more than ever so much more critical for us to be educating our own children about abuse prevention so that they know to recognize when unsafe behavior is happening, even with peers, and that they know what to do in those situations, that they know how to speak up and report to the right person so that it doesn't continue so that that child can also get help so that there is more support for that child who is enacting that behavior as well to make sure that they're not in an unsafe situation or also get out of that unsafe situation. So, so I think that prioritizing abuse prevention education this summer should be at the top of the list because it's not just about what are the adults in our children's lives, but it's also now the potential for peer-to-peer abuse that we need to be looking at as a potential. This is something that a lot of experts are predicting, are looking at. I think everyone's trying to formulate like, how do you communicate this to parents in a way that supports everyone, all the children in involved, right? Because Mm. it's similar to the situation with porn exposure. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's a matter of when it will happen. And so based on the statistics and what we've seen over the last year in terms of reports that have come out, just even with online reports, it's like 118% increase in the last year of reports, which is, you know, a huge percentage. What I want parents to know is that If your child is going to be starting school, if they're starting a new school, if they're starting daycare or preschool or graduating to middle school, even that this is such an ideal time, like talking about it slowly, taking your time to talk about it throughout the summer so that you're not like trying to cram all this information into (laughs) your child's head. Like, let's talk about it this whole week and really starting to practice these things at home can really make a huge difference in how your child steps into school can we dive
0: in teach us a little bit about what that looks like at different ages and like and if you haven't been having these conversations how you go about starting to ease into it yeah until you're not kind of just dumping it all on the kid <laughs> right. all at once can you give us a picture of what that looks like in action yeah
1: so one of the first things that a lot of parents kind of they'll want to start with like hey i just want you to know that your body belongs to you and you, know, you get to say what happens to it and all these things right and that's fantastic and great but we also need to back up our words with our action right so really truly honoring what that means which is really teaching our kids about their body rights which is starts from understanding that you have body autonomy or agency right and for different ages that means different things when your child is two they're gonna have less ability to exercise that as than if they were seven. And what I mean by that is your child can't just run across the street, you know, on their own and exercise their body agency that way if they want to. It means that you examine what that looks like on a day to day, right? So I always recommend to parents, like, look at your day journal. What does your typical day look like? And how are you enforcing certain things that are absolutely health and safety critical or really your choices and decisions about their body that maybe you could be handing over a little bit more to them. Right.
0: Can we make a little quick little list of things that like maybe can be handed over? The yeah, like, for sure.
1: So, I mean, to hugs me, in
0: touch, obviously.
1: Yes. Hugs and touch for sure. Also, things like what they want to wear. If it's, you know, like they feel like wearing a tutu instead of a skirt, is that, is it mandatory? Like, is it absolutely necessary that you make that call or can you give them that ability to choose? Things like letting your child decide when they're full versus you enforcing them to eat what you think they need to eat and letting them learn how to understand their body cues. So things like that versus health and safety, we have to put a seatbelt on when we get in the car seat, because that is important for your health and for your safety. So those kinds of distinctions, teeth brushing is one of the most popular questions I get, which is like, what about this finding ways? Can we I'll brush at the same time, and you can copy what I'm doing, you know, as an option versus saying like, you have to brush now and you have to brush this way and really enforcing it to be this strict boxed in like, no option kind of situation versus like, Like how about if we try right before bed or when I'm reading you a book or, you know, giving some different options.
0: Like autonomy within boundaries, right? So having boundaries, brushing teeth needs to happen, but there's lots of possibilities or like getting hands clean after coming inside. I think lots of parents are continuing to be concerned about hand-washing right now. There's Mm -hmm. lots of ways hand-washing can happen versus there's one way, the parents' way, right? So there's autonomy within boundaries.
1: What we're really trying to teach also is the skill of decision making, critical thinking, like helping them develop those things, because in the long run, that is going to help them when it comes to body safety, like Mm -hmm. these skills of learning how to tune into your body, listen to those cues, all of that is developed through these ways of like letting them decide when they're full and letting them decide what feels good for them in that moment to wear and what makes them happy and how that feels in their body, like all those little pieces. So I know that that seems really simplistic, but that is such a huge foundation for consent right is like them recognizing
0: i think you're hitting on something that's so important for parents to understand is that that consent and boundaries and body autonomy are not taught in these small few minute conversations that you have you know once every few weeks when a boundary has been crossed or something it's taught through the way that you live it's in living it That's how it's taught to kids.
1: I always talk about like finding ways to weave this into your parenting, right? So that it's really the part of the fabric. And and so when you start from that foundation, regardless of your child's age, what you're really saying to them is, I'm truly honoring, right? Who you are as a person. I'm truly honoring your body rights so we're really teaching our children about their body rights and that's going to be the strongest foundation for them to start to recognize what is okay what's not okay with me right and so that's how they learn to start to actually develop their boundaries then we want to teach them how to implement those boundaries right how to say i don't really want to hug right now thank you or i would prefer a fist bump or so this is how we teach them to implement those boundaries and then we can teach them how to actually uphold them which is if somebody tries to cross that line anyway which is bound to happen Mm -hmm. how to vocalize with confidence right if that line did get crossed and they tried to uphold it and it still didn't matter that they know how to ask for help how to get support how to report that something unsafe happened or or that someone made them uncomfortable and that they were comfortable enough to let us know like because they've developed that skill set of something is wrong i don't feel safe i know that i have a safety person that is my backup right so whether that's mom dad whoever that other person is I usually will also teach parents create a safety network because sometimes you may not be available or they may not for whatever reason want to come to you and they at least have another safety line like another lifeline that they can ask for help
0: and so I'm thinking then of course about what if the person who's crossing those boundaries is in that network for example my parents generation our parents generation are less hip with don't have to give them on a hug. You don't have to give grandma a hug. My, my parents are working on that. But one of those persons is the person who's crossing some of those boundaries. And of course, we know the statistics that um, oftentimes in cases of child sexual abuse, the child usually knows the person and that mm-hmm. person 90% is that of works. the time. So like, how can we teach our kids? Lots of the holdup that parents have is that we don't want to scare our kids, and there's extra piece of we don't want to make kids responsible for their safety, kids, and it's our job to keep them safe. So I feel like can we talk about that balance? I
1: love it because this is my jam. This is exactly where I love to help parents because they do find themselves in that position a lot. Here's the thing: I love that you said it shouldn't be all on our kids, and I a thousand percent agree with that. And I talk about that because we. to think we teach kids abuse prevention and then we're good. But In fact, it's not our child's responsibility to prevent abuse. A hundred percent. Yeah, because here's the thing. What we're doing when we teach our kids about abuse prevention is we're skill building, but that doesn't put the responsibility on them. It's still our responsibility to talk to the people in our children's lives about what we are doing at home in terms of, you know, hey, we're teaching this, we're practicing this. Uh, These are some expectations that we would like you to support, you know, in terms of how you interact with our child. Uh, please, you know, for grandparents, please do not ask our child to keep even what you consider to be an innocent secret because we're teaching them about secret safety.
0: (laughs) Wait, you have a podcast so everybody can go listen to your podcast, right?
1: Well, yeah, I do talk (laughs) about some of this on the podcast. The podcast is more for talking about like survivor topics around trauma and relationships and things like that. But I do have lots of information around this. And one of the things, you know, when I talk about creating a safety network, part of creating a safety network means vetting the people that are on your safety network. So you're not just going to be like, oh, these people, I know them. So therefore they belong on the safety network. No, 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 no. We want to make sure that we have communicated to the people that we have invited into our safety network and to let them know that, hey, my child and I have decided that we're creating a safety network. And these are some of the people that both my child and I have decided could be great to be part of the network. And so we want to ask you if you would be part of this network. And if you do, this is what that means, right? And so we want to explain to them that we are practicing consent. We are, you know, teaching our child secret safety. We're teaching them what a safe person is. Right? Because a safe person does not mean, oh, it's a police officer, like a uniform on, or a doctor who has a lab coat. Like, no, that is not relevant. What's relevant are the actions of the person. So a safe person does four things one is that they would never break a body boundary they would never ask your child to keep a secret they would always believe your child if they came to them and they would help keep them safe they would make sure that that unsafe situation does not happen again so those four things are the four pillars of what a safe person is and you want to teach that to your child and you also want to let the person who you're inviting into your safety network know these are the requirements For someone to be on our team of safe people, right? So you're really communicating this to the person, you're letting them know so that one, it's like, do you agree to this? You know, do you want to be part of the safety network? Two, now you know what is required. So if you are a potential predator, right, then you're going to be like, uh oh, you know, like hands off on this family because they're not an easy target. Predators are looking for easy targets. That can be someone in your family. It could be someone in your school. It could be someone in your youth serving organization. You know, when I say predator, people think of a stranger. But, you know, Mm -hmm. like you said, 90% of abuse happens at the hands of people that the family and the child knows and trusts. And it usually happens through a process called grooming. So we can't just assume that just because it's a family member, just because it's someone we've known for 20 years, unfortunately, predators know how to hide in plain sight. And they know how to make themselves look like an upstanding citizen that you would never imagine. We need to be really vocal about this and talk to the people in our child's life. That's 50% of abuse prevention Mm -hmm. is us talking to the people in our child's life. And the other half is educating and skill building with our children, right? So if we look at it as a 50-50, that's the split. We don't want to put all of the pressure on our kids. Explain to our children, this is what a safe person is. And we explain to the adult, these are the expectations we have of a safe person. That really covers you know, that those two pieces so that we can, we can create those networks so that kids know, okay, this is the safe person. They would never break a body boundary. They're not going to ask me to keep a secret. They will believe me and they will help to keep me safe.
0: Can we touch a little bit on secret safety, on what that means?
1: Yeah, so secret safety is huge. It's so critical. It's one of the biggest pieces that I find a lot of parents don't think to teach because they're not really sure like how to teach it because secrets can feel like a tricky kind of conversation. A lot of parents will teach that there's good secrets and that there's bad secrets. We don't want to go down that route because a predator can use the concept of a good secret as a manipulation technique, as a grooming strategy. You know, this is why I always tell parents, ask the people in your child's life, particularly anyone who they spend a lot of time with that they have one on one access to that they do not ask your child to keep a secret, let them know we are teaching secret safety, which means that our child knows that there are no secrets between us within the family, we do not keep secrets within the family. So we want to teach kids about surprises instead, because Mm -hmm. that's like you have birthday parties or a gift that you want to give somebody. Those are things that are meant to be shared that make someone feel good. There's a timeline versus a secret is never supposed to be shared. It's something that you don't tell anyone. Even if it doesn't make you feel bad, it could be something that a tricky person is trying to get you to believe and so you Mm. want to introduce the concept of a tricky person a lot of people are like how do you explain that but there's a lot of media books movies shows that have these characters already in the storyline I always like to point to like the first movie for Frozen with the prince who like Mm. seemed like a good guy but he turned out to be a bad guy that's a tricky person right so you can give your child these examples to say if somebody is asking you to keep a secret even if it feels like it's an okay secret or they tell you that it's okay to not tell mom and dad that might be a tricky person, which is why it's so important that you tell mom and dad anyway, because then you can confirm and make sure that you're staying safe. And ultimately, a safe person isn't going to ask a child to keep a secret. Right. A surprise is different. Meant to be told, there's a timeline, you know. So making sure that they have that distinction. So creating a safety rule in your home that we do not keep secrets. That's our safety rule. Giving kids that script to tell someone if someone asks them to keep a secret. We don't keep secrets in our home. That's our family safety secrets rule. And again, that will be a really big red flag to a potential predator that they are like, oh, this child's being educated, hands off. Like they're looking for the lowest hanging fruit, like least resistance the way that they look for children are the homes where kids are not talking about these things that they don't have the language that they can very evidently see that this child doesn't know they and they will ask them to keep a good secret something that's totally innocent to test them to see if they're willing to keep the secret at all so if your child knows to say that they're getting crossed off the list
0: okay so now whenever i, I start thinking about secrets and secret safe i love that phrase you have really good turn of phrase i also start, my daughter, my oldest is getting older. She's starting to seek more privacy, which is a normal part of development. And so I also, I would love to discuss a little bit of the nuance between secret keeping and privacy, because I do believe, you know, especially if we're talking about consent, the kids are entitled to privacy too. Absolutely. So I'm curious if we can, I don't know, touch on that a little bit too. I feel like yeah. i like, like pick, <laughs> asking you so
1: much. No, it's all good. Well, I mean, it's important too, Because that is, it stems from the idea of private parts, right? So if you're teaching about private parts, then you can start to talk about the idea of privacy in general. Because kids will explore their bodies and these are private activities, right? So something that you can do when you have privacy and then you introduce this idea of that's your own alone time. That's time for you. You can do that. You can do whatever it is that you want in the privacy of that time and space. So you can give examples of like, you know, when someone goes to the bathroom and they close the door, they want privacy. They don't want anyone else to see what's happening in there. And so introducing the idea through those kinds of physical examples kind of sets the stage so that as they get older, they can introduce that. Like they can kind of transition that into more of a abstract concept of just space and time with things like, you know, I don't want someone to know that I still like sleeping with my teddy bear. That's my own private information. I don't want people to know that because it might embarrass me or it might, you know, I just don't want somebody to know about that. So you can introduce the idea that that's okay to have that private information if you write in your diary, right? That's your private information, as long as it is not something that is involving someone hurting you or impacting your body safety, mm-hmm. this is where you want to introduce this idea because someone could say, oh, well, let's keep this between you and I. It's private. They could still use that, that term. But mm-hmm. you can say like, if somebody is making you feel uncomfortable, if they're whether that's uncomfortable physically or emotionally or mentally, mm-hmm. then that is still something that you should come and talk to us about because we can help you with that. Yeah. So introducing the idea that privacy is okay as long as it doesn't affect your safety. Mm -hmm. Once it affects your safety, then it's really important that you talk to your safe person about that. And so that could be me, that could be dad, that could be whoever else is on your safety network. So really starting from that place of the physical private space, private activity, when we're talking about kids exploring their bodies, you can introduce the idea then a lot of times kids when they're really small and they're walking around the house kind of exploring, you know, hands down the pants, (laughs) like kids do, without shaming them. We just want to redirect and say, hey, you know, I realize that, you know, maybe you want to explore, but let's try to keep that private activity if you want to go hang out in the bedroom or the bathroom or Just let mom know, hey, I need some private time and you're on the couch doing your thing. I'll be in the kitchen. That's cool, too. You know, whatever that looks like for you in your home. That's the perfect sort of place to start with concept of privacy.
0: Okay. And so then, you know, kind of circling back to the conversation that we were having at the beginning of this episode, what about when kids start wanting to have alone time together? So my daughters will sometimes want to play by themselves in one of their rooms and say, mom and dad, don't come in. You're not allowed. No grownups allowed. How do we navigate those situations?
1: Personally, I think it's important that we have an open door policy. The only time that private time is allowed is for yourself when you're Mm -hmm. between a certain age, right? Especially with play dates. For us, there's an open door policy For me, particularly, we're about to move and to a new home. And I know that the bedrooms are going to be on a different floor. Like right now, our bedrooms are on the main floor, but we're having a different situation. And so when friends come over, bedrooms are off limit. We don't allow that because I need to know that child better. I need to know the parents better. I need to know more about that family before I feel comfortable saying like, oh, sure, guys, like go closed door activity, like not okay Mm -hmm. for me because for safety reasons. So. I even with siblings will still advocate an open door policy and just say, I will knock and still like give you that much of to say, hey, you know, I'm coming to see what's going on or whatever you, you want to say, but it's got to be an open door policy. So I still feel like private time is okay for you to do on your own. But when it, there's another person involved there's gotta be an open door policy.
0: Okay, and so then keeping on this topic of that we were talking about before, this whole time we've been talking about abuse prevention and kind of the slow build. And so if our kids get into a situation where they report something happened to them, some touch that didn't feel good or they weren't even sure about, because I, I think for young kids, often they aren't sure. They Something happened, it didn't feel quite right. It, they didn't know if it was, especially when it's between kids. So, they come to us and they report, we find out about it. Our reaction is really important, right? At that oh, moment yeah. in time. Yeah. And so, do you have any tips for parents who are in that situation? How to go about that without shaming, without blaming? And a child's response and processing of those moments can, can define whether something's traumatic or whether some, they move on from it, too. Can you give us some tips for parents in, yeah, in that situation? For sure.
1: Well, one of the things, too, that I want to just kind of go backwards a little bit to say is that when we're inviting someone to be part of our safety networks explaining to them once they agree to be part of the safety network is educating them on this same thing how do you respond if my child comes to you mm-hmm. so that you are not re-traumatizing them yeah. by saying the wrong thing so when we're talking about creating a safety network it's not just like hey let's just pick five people it like there's a process in order to really make it effective and also for your child to be supported by that person, right? So if they were to come to them, you want them to know the same thing that you know about how to respond. And so how to respond is critical for two reasons. One is obviously you don't want to re-traumatize your child, but two, you want to make sure that they feel safe enough to really tell you as much as possible because a lot of the time, they're only going to give you a very small amount of information to see how you handle it Before they divulge anything else, our initial response is going to be really critical for a potential investigation for, you know, making sure that they feel safe as they unfold any other details. So first, you want to commend them for the fact that they did the right thing by coming to tell you. You want to let them know that they didn't do anything wrong, that in fact, you're really proud of the fact that they have come to you and did the right thing that, you know, what you instructed them. And then you want to let them know that you're going to do everything in your power to make sure that this situation unfolds in a safe way. You don't want to, you know, if you feel triggered also in the moment that you receive the information, like take a breath. Take a moment to pause. And if you need to like even get up and say, oh, you know, I'm so thirsty. Let me just get a glass of water for a second. Would you like a glass of water? You know, and because they're going to be like looking at every bit of your reaction, right? So Mm -hmm. just try to stay calm. If you're a survivor yourself, it could be extremely triggering, right? So just prepare yourself with some tools, breathing techniques or something that's going to help you regulate so you can have this conversation. And then, you know, so that you can be as supportive thank you for telling me you did the right thing. You're so courageous for coming and telling me that even if you just felt uncomfortable, like sometimes we're not sure how we feel. And it's always great to be able to talk to someone. So thank you for trusting me to come and tell me. And then you want to ask them, so what else would you like to share about that? Was there anything else that you wanted to tell me, right? You don't want to ask any leading questions. You don't want to, um, you know, add things in there that you perceive happened without them actually happening. So stay away from leading questions. Just be open to hearing. So what else happened? Was there anything else that you'd like to share? And then do not, you know, if whether it's an adult or a child, we don't want to ever attack that person you know, oh my goodness, I can't believe that person did that. Or I'm going to make mm-hmm. sure that they go to jail or, you know, oh my goodness, I could just kill that person. You know, like whatever that sometimes response yeah. that's in our head, <laughs> we don't want to verbalize that because, that uh, child may have a really good relationship with that friend or that person, that adult, and us threatening in some way could really make the child retract and you know not want to share anymore because of fear of what the repercussion is going to be to that person. They may just want that situation to not happen anymore, but that doesn't mean that they want that person to necessarily go away. Mm-hmm. In a child's mind, it's like, I just want them to stop doing that thing. But they're my friend. So I don't want my friend to go away, right? So you don't want to say anything that's going to like make them fear telling you any more information. So calmly say, I'm going to look into it and see what happened and make sure that it doesn't happen again. And, you know, depending on the age of the child, you want to keep them, you know, feeling like they're involved in the process, because if they feel like they've been shut out, They're going to be very apprehensive to tell you more because you're, you're shutting them out. They're going to shut you out. Mm -hmm. So try to keep it open and, and supportive. And then, you know, look at, does my child need to see a a play therapist? Do they need to talk to a counselor? Most likely they do, you know, something that really impacted them. You know, you want to make sure that you're giving them the support and then do your own investigation from that point if it's, um, you know, a situation that needs to involve, if it's an adult, and you need to involve child protective services. If it's a child, you want to obviously talk to the child's parents, you want to find out, you know, if it was something that happened in school on school grounds, like, obviously, you're going to take the next steps from there. But yeah. your response initially is going to be really important to because your child may later, you know, come back and say, so there was this other part of this, Thing that happened. And like, I, you know, wanted to tell you, you're going to have follow-up conversations. Mm-hmm. So that first one is
0: going to be really important. Okay. And so one of the things that I'm thinking about now too, is so how do we tell the difference as parents between age appropriate kind of explorations between peers and things that are, should not be happening?
1: So typically it's, there's a two, two to three year gap where it can be a curiosity exploration kind of situation, right? If they're in in the same peer group, and I would say that that's for like six and under Mm -hmm. six and over, we're talking about, there should be more knowledge around body safety generally. So if someone is asking another child, you know, to touch them in a private area or wants to touch them in a private area, or is asking them not to say anything, that's very clearly knowledge that they know that that's not appropriate and is leaning more towards that an abusive situation. Again, the child themselves even may not understand that that's abusive because they may being abused and not recognized that that is not okay so you know it really depends on the dynamics if it's over a two to three year age gap um, you know let's say the child is six and the older child is 10 that's a very clear like the child Mm -hmm. uh is 10 they know that's inappropriate shouldn't be doing that that's when you're we're talking about like potential for for that to now be abusive so there's that that age window um You know, two to three years. Yeah, two to three years.
0: All the parents listening, I hope that you are staying calm and knowing that this prevention is so important. So having just listened to this interview with Rosalia is doing a whole lot for your family. But as we move into kind of opening the world back up, kids are going back into school settings. Are there things that we can be doing for our communities? Um, not just for our family, but for our communities to start these conversations. And we hear all the time, it takes a village, but how do we actually put that into practice?
1: Well, first of all, I think this will make everyone feel better. This is one of my more favorable statistics is that 90% of abuse can be prevented through education. Mm -hmm. So if we are taking the time to do this education You should feel good about the fact that's gonna really help, right? And what we can do is again, like have these conversations with our inner circle. So grandparents, relatives, family members, friends, then talk to the next level of you know, people who are interacting, educators, let them know this is why I created consent letters, because you can give this letter to someone and say, This is what we're doing at home, this is how we're practicing it. We would love for you to be you know, involved and help us, you know, support this education that we're teaching. This is how you can support it. You know, will you support it? You know, so really calling people in. I think a lot of people are afraid to have these conversations because they think that they're going to make that person feel uncomfortable or like you're pointing a finger, but we're not calling people out. We're calling people in. And so coming at it from that, you know, intention, that perspective, it really makes a difference. So whether that is a teacher, a coach, even, you know, a babysitter, hey, we're doing this, this is how we practice it, having those conversations, not being, you know, as afraid, like having the courage to talk about this more openly and educating others, hey, these statistics have been on the rise, you know, this is not something that I'm making up, I'm not just being paranoid, you know, I think that we're afraid of being seen that way. Mm -hmm. But in fact, when we start to educate people, they're actually really surprised that they didn't know those statistics, because no one is talking about it. So We have to be those first people to say, I'm going to be the one to talk about it in my community because it's going to make our community safer. Uh, Bring a list of abuse prevention books to your local library and say, hey, can you bring those books in? You know, and that really helps to educate more parents in your community, right? The more. The more we share this information with other parents, like if you're going to a play date and, hey, we're starting to practice this new education and X, Y, Z, you can share this. So just getting more vocal about it in general is going to empower your community. And, you know, they'll be like, hey, you know, where did you learn that? How can I learn more about that? Oh, yeah, there's this, you know, website here. There's this podcast there. I learned about this here. You know, give more of those tools to everyone else so that everybody can get on board.
0: I love those, especially those two ideas. So I think that those are resources that people can get from you, right? Where can people find those?
1: Yeah, so you can go to (laughs) consentparenting.com and I have the free PDF of uh, book recommendations that are all about abuse prevention broken up into age groups. So you can easily take, you know, circle which books you want the library to bring in and hand that over to them. And then my consent letters, you know, I have eight different templates, including ones for sleepovers, you know, for doctors, (laughs) for, yeah, for teachers, for daycares. You know, we want to be able to talk to everybody, right? And so these letters really help facilitate that communication.
0: What a great resource. Yeah. I even actually,
1: (laughs) (laughs) well, I was going to say, I actually also just created two uh, new versions, which are videos. So if you have a co-parent, like if you're in a, if you're divorced and you're co-parenting, that's sometimes the most challenging is like to try to get your co-parent on board with what you're doing. And so you can send a consent letter or you can send a video, which is essentially me explaining What you're teaching in your home, how you're teaching it, why you're teaching it, some statistics to back up, like the reason why, and then asking them to be on board and asking them, you know, we're practicing secret safety. This is what it means. This is how you can, you know, be part of it, even if you're living in separate homes. Right. And so it's me basically sharing that information, coming from an expert, making it easier for the co parent to like just send that over and on board. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
0: What a great resource. Okay. So your website is consent parenting.com. And that's also your handle on um, on, Instagram. on Instagram, which everybody listening, if you do Instagram, you should definitely be there. Her page is so helpful <laughs> and so wonderful. Gosh, thank you so much for your time and your expertise and what you're doing for the world. You just really are a gift to, to us as parents. And I so appreciate you.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me on and, and for making this a topic that you're making space for on your podcast. So I really appreciate you
0: for doing that as well. I feel just so honored to have had you here with us. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of Um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, And definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at laurafroyanphd. That's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too.